Well, hello there, Vlad here. Welcome to Cat Friday's episode number 13. Had to cheat right away by looking at my show notes. And once again, fun show ahead. But before we move on, please consider liking this YouTube version of the show and also subscribing if you haven't already, but enjoy the show. That would help a lot. If you are listening to the podcast on Apple Music, not Apple Music, but Apple Podcasts or Spotify, from where we actually kind of, I think, disappeared for a few days last week. There were some glitches happening, at, I think, at Apple Podcasts at some point, maybe even Spotify. If you're listening there, please consider leaving a review there. That would help to push the show to new people as well. And yeah. Lots of fun stuff in today's show, but first, and really first, we are once again joined by it, Richard Morgan. Uh, I didn't come up with any fun title for you this time. Hello, how are you doing? Good day. I'm fine. How are you? Good. I'm good. And we are not alone today, except like, we. well, we're not alone because there's two of us, but actually there's three of us because today we're joined by Eirik. I have no idea how to pronounce the last name. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hey, how are you? Give it a go, Vlad. How would you say my last name? Damn it. Uh, Storaj? Storaj? I don't know. I need to read, like... Storage. That is not even close, man. That is not even close. I'd go with storage. I like that the most. Okay. So how is How is it pronounced? Yeah, it's uh, Stordrange. Ah, I see. The I way see. you Scandinavian guys talk, it always sounds like a question. Stordrange. <laughs> yeah, we always like go up at the yeah, end. Whereas I'd say Stordrange. <laughs> Which is probably also wrong. Storage. Storage? Anyway. Actually, sorry. Stord means big. And. and <laughs> Mm-hmm. And drunk, yeah, I'm not sure what that means, but stood that means big, so something is big. <laughs> I guess in the comments, maybe tell yes. us what you think is big about Eirik, and uh, we'll aggregate those for next time. That will be our whole Q&A <laughs> section of the show <laughs> next week. <laughs> What's big? Uh, uh, yeah. Is it A, his channel, B, his... Well, you guys tell us in the comments. <laughs> As you can tell, we're off to a great start. <laughs> yeah, today uh, we're going to, in the recent happening section, we're going to talk about an article published in or on Ultimate Guitar website called Is Praise and Worship Music Driving Guitar Sales? Which is really interesting. Like, they actually interview some people from Fender, for example, and how that section is kind of driving both i would say like maybe guitar and pedal design but also like they have like sweetwater has reps for praise and worship musicians and stuff like that so that's interesting uh there's some gear available uh, by jimmy hendrix on reverb that we're going to check and also there's been some issues with reverb like well one of the issues that's been happening there's some information leak or like data breach something like that happening so we're going to talk about that uh again in the wrongly titled vlad files we're going to talk about 
our favorite gigs we've seen. I probably need to rebrand the sh that section to something else, but that's for another day. Uh, we'll talk about my Gibson Midtown Custom. I've had that kind of in heavily influenced the guitar I built in Vlad guitars, not Vlad guitars, in my guitars. I'm, I just combined two sections into Vlad guitars, which could actually work. We'll answer a couple of your questions and something fun in the watch recommendation as well, actually provided by one of our long-time viewers. And I also quickly want to mention there's timestamps to different sections on YouTube, and I think those work on podcast platforms as well. So if you want to jump to a certain section, timestamps going on over there. But I think we move on to recent happenings next, where we discuss three of the things I just mentioned in my rambling intro. Let's go. As I mentioned just a few seconds ago, there's an article on ultimateguitar.com called Is Praise and Worship Music Driving Guitar Sales? And this is actually kind of interesting read because, for example, I'm, I'm having to check, but I think something they mentioned is that like every sixth rep at Sweetwater is dedicated to uh, praise and worship musicians in US. Obviously, this really depends on like where you live in Finland, for example, the worship scene isn't that big that you could call it like an actual scene, I would say. But this was interesting. Uh, did you guys check out the article? What do you think? Did, sorry, did you say one in every six Sweetwater I, employees is I dedicated to praise I'm and worship? I'm going to check that while you talk, just so that I don't like, lie to people. But I think there was something like that. Yeah, wow. I'm going to well, check that, it. That's a huge number because I remember when I went to Sweetwater for the Gear Fest in 2019, obviously all the sales guys were there and there are hundreds of them. So if there are hundreds of employees and one in every six is dedicated to praise and worship, that's a lot of people who are, who are doing that. Okay, I just check. According to this article, that is indeed true. One of every six... Uh, Sweetwater sales reps is assigned to a uh, to worship markets, and apparently that worship market actually makes uh, uh, apparently like thirty percent of all the sales, so almost six hundred million or, or out of like one point five to two billion sales uh, are made up of gear that is used in churches for praise and worship music. I'm guessing this is just in US, maybe. I I don't think this is worldwide, but that's insane. Yeah, would that I would be just for Sweetwater, yeah. Yeah. A question, why would you need like a different rep for worship music? Is it like is it that different? Like I didn't know anything about worship music before I started a YouTube channel. So that was like a big sur surprise to me that <coughs> that was a thing uh, because in Norway <laughs> we don't have that or we, I know we have something but not that much. But like, I'm just wondering why is, do you have to be like an expert on worship music to be like a rep at Sweetwater? You only need to recommend like five Strymon <laughs> Big Skies for yeah, like exactly. <laughs> and seven timelines for like each pedal board. Is that the thing? I'm, yeah, I'm just wondering what the difference is between like a regular rep and a worship rep 
Yeah, I gotta well, say, I like, that you, yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I reckon they probably choose reps who themselves are into the prayer and worship scene and who yeah. kind of have that as part of their daily lives and can talk to the people in a more kind of authentic way, I guess. And um, I don't know, in some ways, the worship YouTube scene seems to be a bit separate from the overall gear scene. You quite often, if you end up on a video, if you're searching for a Strymon or something, you're going to get one of those worship channels, which is demoing yeah. it. And you'll see comments from people who are not part of the prayer and worship squad kind of criticizing it a bit occasionally. And you'll see people who are part of it really going for it and being positive about it. So I think that maybe it's like a distinct like niche, a massive niche, but still like a niche nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems to be like, not here in Finland, but, um, and I'm speaking as someone who plays at churches, but I like, unlike here in Finland, it seems to me at least that in US it's almost also like a music style and maybe that's why it is like that's why you have like sales reps dedicated to that mu music style because there's a lot of use of like ambient things and like low gain drives and uh also seems like a lot of churches like to do a thing where like they mix uh, like uh, live musicians with backing tracks and a lot of times they want to control all of that with midi and like I'd say on average, uh, a worship musician's pedal board is way bigger and more complicated than your average guy playing at a local pub or something. So maybe that's that's why they have their own dedicated sales reps because it it, it feels to me like it's a music style as well, not just like uh like that's the fact that they're gathering at churches isn't the only common denominator. How do you pronounce it? Whatever the word was. Starts on D. Denominator. Yes, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, that is possibly the case. So, why do you think that is, though? Yeah, I I don't know. Like, some somehow there's uh, like uh, I've something that I've noticed is like a, l a lot of churches struggle with uh, like they don't have enough people to play to like have a big band every Sunday. But the thing is, like, still a lot of them still try to create that big band sound. <laughs> and sometimes they try to do it with gear. Sometimes they try to do it with backing tracks. And I don't know. Seems, seems like there's a certain culture thing going on. And I'm not 100% sure, like, why exactly that's, that that's happening. Like, why do they all lean towards that one style? Because there's like very different kind of churches in US itself, from what I know at least. And yeah, I honestly like, I'm an, honestly don't know, uh, though I have to mention like one of the reasons why the worship gear market is so big is that something that I mentioned in the article as well is like, unlike most of the bands out there, these guys have a gig every Sunday. That's a huge, huge thing compared to like how much your average, uh, like garage rock and roll band gets to geek per year. So maybe that's the biggest difference. In the Has end. that been like more stable through this year with COVID in church, like, or have you been playing like every s Sunday? 
No. But I mean, in our church, A, we're doing a service every two weeks and we have several bands that can rotate. So my right. band has had four slots this year. And besides one that we did live as a trio, all of them have been pre-recorded because the restrictions in Finland have been pretty strict and we don't want to break those. And we also want to keep people safe, obviously, so. Yeah. Yeah. This is not me poking fun, but uh, do they sell those plexiglass caters for drummers at Sweetwater? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like I'm poking fun, but I'm just curious on like, is th is that easy to find? How expensive is it? Like I thought it was funny like the first um, time I saw it, and I've yeah been curious since. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I have to say I, I don't know. We don't use any those kind of things. You don't? No, because like all of the Finnish churches, or, like most of them that are old, they're designed in a way where the room itself can pro room acoustics are best for you to speak without any kind of microphone. And yeah. that like there's so much reverb going on that even if you would surround your drummer, like you would need to do like a dome <laughs> around the drummer yeah. for it to work, <laughs> which could look incredibly fun, but unfortunately nobody's doing that. So, yeah, we're not doing that, unfortunately, at all. So I wouldn't know. But, yeah, I mean, I, I would say the worship musicians also kind of des uh, deserve to be memed a little bit because, like, an average worship board looks more like uh, like a NASA control center than, like, <laughs> an actual pedal board compared to everyone else. But, yeah, yeah. as I mentioned, like, It's a lot about like texturing and there could be like 10 people in the band and somebody's job is just to play like quarter, no delays or something like that for the whole set. And yeah, maybe that's actually one of the things like why this scene is so big is that like the bands are big because they want to have like a lot of people involved because like when you are involved in that way, you'll probably involved in other church activities as well because you get to be part of community, which is great, I think. But like, <laughs> I'd say on average, like the bands are also bigger than in some other cases might be. So maybe that's w also one of the reasons why there's more g like gear sales. Do I'm you just know guesstimating. Is, yeah. Do you know if the American churches finance their bands? Because a lot of the players that you see, they do have super expensive boards, like lots of pedals and the delays. Like Eric said, it's always Strymons. They love their American-built overdrives, their JHSs, their Griers, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Those boards cost thousands and thousands. Yeah. I gotta say, I have no idea about like finance side of things there. Like, I can, I, I'm only looking at it from my perspective, which is some thousand miles away from Finland and like their presence on YouTube and the stuff they're doing there. So, yeah. I think actually, Rich, that I have heard from a couple of players that they, uh, they've they gotten at least some of the gear from the church. Yeah. But I, that would make sense. I have no yeah. idea if that's the norm. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. Though I have also seen like Uh, I was talking about the consistency thing, like having a big sound and stuff like that. Uh, there's also been a few like videos we've laughed 
about with some of my friends where like there's a church musician who's kind of responsible for all the like organizing all the bands for example and <laughs> so there's, there's people who have like let's say they have like a helix lt for example and everybody who plays guitar in that church has to use that helix lt with those pre-made patches he created <laughs> <laughs> so there's like those extremes as well uh though i don't i don't think that's that common but yeah i think actually the first meet that i have had with the worship community was when i did a demo way back when uh, of the um bondi effects sick ass overdrive and i got an email from a player who wanted to get that for church playing and he was super worried because of the name, because it's called Sick Ass, but it's like A-S, not with like the double S. But he thought like it sounded like you were saying ass and he didn't want to bring that into like the church. <laughs> Luckily, we have someone who has, a, yes, some, we have someone who can share a story about this side of things as well. Is that me? Are you talking about me? Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a story about that too. Yeah. When I was at Houston Kepner, we of course released the Black Spirit 200 amp and we talked a lot about the name before the amp came out and I was against Black Spirit 200. Firstly, because I thought it sounded like a metal amp and secondly, because I was thinking a little bit about, you know, hell and that kind of stuff. The Black Spirit to me, it sounds really dark. But anyway, we went with it. And we did get quite a few emails and Facebook messages from people in the worship scene in America always saying, uh, hey, I love the amp, but I could never, ever buy a black spirit or take it into my church. And we even had a couple who said, have you considered doing something like an angel or a white spirit? And I was like, OK, but no, but <laughs> really interesting story. And th that is the reality of it. And the same yeah. with the sick, sick ass, sick ass. Yeah. 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 Legitimate concern. I, I guess some gear people some brands even build pedals and amps and guitars specifically for the worship scene but i mean we need to get someone from like a store or something to talk about this at some point because this is really interesting like uh they mentioned fender specifically in this article as well and that i didn't actually know that there's a guy called uh is he lincoln brewster he's basically like he used to be a studio musician in us and then kind of turned into a worship musician and yeah he has his own signature fender that i didn't know about it's interesting and i think what Eric also mentioned like i think unlike other gigs uh church gigs have still be have been like going on even during the pandemic depending on the i guess states in us and restrictions and stuff like that but uh, it it does actually kind of apply to me as well i've been playing with other people every now and then during the springtime for example even though like no geeks have been allowed over the past four five months or so right so yeah interesting interesting read i'm going to put a link in the youtube video description and in the show notes as well for podcast platforms if you want to check it out interesting stuff what's also interesting are these not so affordable jimmy hendrix owned guitars on reverb.com uh for YouTube viewers, I'm going to show a couple of pictures. There's basically a Stratocaster 1967 one in this. Is it like a tritone sun, yeah, sunburst one for very affordable 302,000 euros. Uh, 
Then there's a very affordable Jimi Hendrix owned and played 1962 Fender Jazzmaster. Nice. 647,000 euros. Well, 648,000 euros. Just your average lunch money, I guess. And then there's also Jimi Hendrix owned and used Marshall Super Lead 100. Nice. 300,000 euros. <laughs> so, yeah. Who's buying what? Can we decide it right now who's getting which one? I think the um, the Jazzmaster sold. Oh, really? I probably yeah, didn't. it's not yeah. there anymore. No. So I think so. I think Eric already got that one. So um, yeah, I'll take the amp. I mean, if that is the amp that he used at Woodstock, then it's a, a legendary piece of equipment. But I guess nobody knows if it really is. Yeah. Can you ver but verify these things? Like, is there a way to like make sure it is actually that? Well, the amps have very specific, like, low serial numbers from that point, and yeah, there is photographic evidence that he had that specific amp and these specific guitars at that certain period of time. So yeah. whether or not they were used on specific gigs, because obviously with amps he would have had a back line and a bunch of different ones, I guess no one knows. Yeah. It's still pretty cool, though, and, like, mm. it's Hendrix, isn't it? And Woodstock, it's one of the most iconic moments in, in rock and roll history. Like, if you could afford any of this, like, fairly easy, would you be interested in getting it at all? Like, the amp? Both, like yeah, the Strat I... or the amp. I guess if I was in that position where money was no object, I would consider it, but I would consider it from, like, a museum perspective. It's not some I would, you know, that amp, I could never use it. It's not practical for any of us to use anymore. It probably doesn't even work. And the guitar as well. It's like, I'd want to put it in a position where other music people could come and see it. Kind of like Hard yeah. Rock Cafe or something, but mm. different. <laughs> yeah. I, weirdly enough, I'm like drawn to the Jazz Master, which is now sold because like uh, everybody associates Jimmy with strats. And the fact that there's a Jazz Master that he played is kind of, in more interesting to me i guess in a way like because because there's many hendrix strats but this is like the first jazz master i've seen and there's actually you still have a link to the jazz master i haven't seen that one uh yeah i'm going to drop it yes yeah. over there or check i it bought out. it but i didn't like even <laughs> check out the <laughs> <laughs> that's some youtube money for you guys pedals bought it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah adsense is good these days yeah i know i know Oh, there you go. That's yeah. a nice one. I know. That, that, I guess that's from like very early days of Hendrix. Yeah, really. Yeah, Yeah. And he used it with the, the Isley Brothers and with Little Richard. So like on session. So that's a super cool guitar. But again, yeah. it's like it's not something you would associate with Hendrix, is it? Yeah. Kind of like the two recent Gibson Signature models that came out you know the flying v and the sg it's like they're slightly more associated with hendrix but sure the strat is the main one for yeah. him really yeah, yeah i know i mean this jazz master looks amazing this has to yeah this is probably from like very early years because i don't remember him seeing like seeing him play a jazz master before really really cool like just thinking logistics like 600 and well almost 50,000 euros 
then it says three and a half half thousand euros for shipping, <laughs> which was. Yeah, a, I mean, you have to ship it in something like super, super durable, but like probably something that kind of keeps the temperature even and stuff like that, because you need to fly it over, I guess. I reckon that money is like the price of two first class tickets and some dude will bring it on the plane and have a separate yeah. seat for the guitar and all that stuff. Probably. For three yeah. and a half grand, you can do that. Whether, if you're paying 650,000 for a guitar, I think 3,000 for delivery is, that's a bargain, right? Yeah. Whether you're saying people are not treating the guitars nicely on the planes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, imagine you bought it and you check it in and you just see the guy down at the bottom with the bags just throwing this old <laughs> Fender case into the bottom of the plane and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, I remember like, I think Tom Quayle posted on Facebook once like, he would actually see his guitar being thrown onto the belt or whatever it was like. Oh, man. Yeah, I saw that as well uh, with a guitar of mine, and I filmed it. <laughs> and the guy throwing it saw me filming it, and he was, like, staring at me for five minutes after that. <laughs> he was not happy. <laughs> I think I put that in a vlog many years ago. Yeah. Was the guitar okay? Yeah. It, like it was in a good hard case so nothing would have happened but he like really threw it so it, it didn't look good at all yeah <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> all right so the third thing we want to talk about here was that <laughs> reverb uh, i don't know it's been getting worse and worse to me it feels like i've never been like a heavy user of reverb.com anyway I think I have a few affiliate links there. I wasn't even actually like before shooting this episode, I, I tried to actually like search whether I've made more affiliate sales, but I wasn't even able to find that page anymore for some reason. I don't know if they killed that program or something, or maybe it's just hidden somewhere. Uh, but Reverb basically had some sort of breach and a lot of people's contact information has been leaked. In the email, they say that we do not have a reason to believe that any of this information has been misused, nor do we believe that password or payment information were involved. But based on my quick search on, for example, 60Cycle Harms uh, Facebook group, where people were chatting about this, some people had had their credit card charged for stuff they didn't buy. So I actually doubt that what Reverb is saying is true. And based on their recent history, I don't have too much reason to believe them. Well, for, first of all, to me, this brings the fact that uh, like they thought of like it's too easy to charge a credit card in US. In Finland, you wouldn't be able to do that. Even if you would, would have my like credit card number, you wouldn't be able to charge it and before you like you would need to have all of my banking details and like bank passcodes and stuff like that before you would be able to charge it. But uh, is it time to kill Reverb? <laughs> I guess. Didn't they have a thing where you can not have a Reverb store on your website now? Is that a thing also? Yeah. It's a bit, actually, we're shooting this on Thursday 29th. They're killing that tomorrow on Friday. So when this episode is out, uh, you cannot integrate Reverb onto but your website anymore. 
or whatever. Why are they doing that? There was Does some very vague explanation about that on their side that I don't remember. Like, I don't know. Like, we've been working really hard on this, but we came to a conclusion that we probably need to stop wow. doing that. Something like that. To me, that sucks more than the breach yeah, thing, I mean, which is not good, of course. Uh, but that has happened to other websites as well. But I don't know. It seems like Reverb are like just upping the price, taking away things that people like with the website. So, and I'm not really seeing the reason behind stuff anymore. So, yeah, I'm not sure what's mm -hmm. going on there were they bought by someone not that long ago yeah they were bought by etsy which ah, is one yeah. of the big um like home arts and crafts site where people make things out of materials and home mm. furnishings and pictures and art and stuff like that and you can buy it online and that's a massive like multi-hundred million dollar business and once yeah. you buy out something like Reverb, the goal is to make more money for the people who own the site, you know? And I think what was the first thing that happened? They put the prices up for sellers by like 2 or 3% or something like that. So a significant increase. And now this for independent sellers as well. It's, it's hard. I, I think it will alienate quite a few people from the service, but other people will continue to use it. Yeah, unfortunately, the situation is always that like there's not too many alternatives to it right now, which kind of sucks. So people are kind of stuck on Reverb, and there's unfortunately there's also a lot of uh, shops. This is something that Phil McKnight, for example, talks a lot. Like there's a lot of shops on Reverb, like like uh, what's what like mom and pop shops that actually make most of their business by selling on Reverb, like uh, being able to like stay alive, sort of speak, because they can sell through reverb and by cutting down their profit margin uh, that sucks sucks big is time. that something they could do on ebay after this or is ebay also making it impossible to do that i haven't heard anything about ebay i i don't know to be honest but i mean like reverb is more focused which kind of helps i guess but have you guys ever actually bought anything on reverb I personally have not, and that's because I had a bad experience the first time I used the site. I was mm. on it with two friends of mine, and they made me pick out a reggae rig that I would buy on <laughs> Reverb. And ever since then, I've just not purchased anything at all. Uh, I don't yeah. think I ever bought anything there except that Jimi Hendrix Jazzmaster. Uh, but I, I think I oh, yeah, sold course, yeah. a couple of things. Uh, but I prefer to use like the local sites in Norway. Actually, that's mostly because I don't want to ship worldwide. Mm. But if I'm not able to sell it here in Norway, I have used Reverb a couple of times. But um, I don't think I ever bought anything. I think I've only used eBay then. Actually, yeah, me too. I, I, I bought at least one guitar on re on that reverb ebay and i think well and also bought some camera stuff on ebay but i've never yeah i've never bought anything on reverb just feels like there's actually more selection on ebay and it's easier to organize the shipping like and i also don't want to sell on 
river because uh, shipping anything from Finland, even like within EU, is yeah. stupidly expensive, and it would really, really cut down my profit margin. So I'm just like I'm buying and selling used gear just within Finland yeah. because of that. But yeah, if you are a reverb user, I would probably check your password and stuff like that and just change your password just in case if you are still <laughs> able to access your account. <laughs> Hopefully you are. Uh, I think we should talk about our favorite gigs next, wouldn't you say? This section is still wrongly titled The Vlad Files, but we'll stick with that until we come up with a better name for it or a better definition. Let's go with Vlad Files. Uh, I want to talk about our favorite gigs we've seen. I think this is fairly relevant. Things are starting to open up. At least in Finland, they're talking about possibly doing some summer festivals in like maybe early August already, uh, maybe late July. Everything from June was unfortunately cancelled, but uh, yeah, late July, August. So I'm actually really looking forward to that. And yeah, I thought this would be a fun time to kind of go back and talk a bit about our favorite gigs we've seen. Who wants to go first? You start, Vlad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the first one that came to my mind right away has to be you two on um, what was the arena some some arena in london uh Wait, when you say you two you don't mean me and Eric, do you you mean the no. band you two <laughs> unfortunately really i haven't seen joke. you playing together yet <laughs> i need to i need to be able to see that but yeah you two in london i mean maybe you have played on twickenham stadium that I, and i, I just think didn't richard know about played it, there with yeah. that reggae band <laughs> this was you <laughs> yeah exactly i played my hendrix own jazz master which yeah. i just sold on reverb actually it's an interesting story all right i'm i'm starting to think we probably need to do part two of that thing like create more silly <laughs> rules and randomness for that show and we do it sometime but <laughs> okay where was i something about you two and we can have stadium i'm gonna say that it was some um, 2016 16 maybe i think yes probably 2016 and yeah it was me and my wife we were in london for a, like a summer trip and part of that was that there was a youtube was doing this um the joshua tree tour so they were playing the whole album plus some other songs as well and that's my favorite youtube al album and i just really really wanted to see the show managed to get the tickets barely uh, we were like in the nosebleed somewhere at the back of the stadium, but it didn't matter because we got to see you two live. And boy, oh boy, oh boy. As soon as that um, where the streets have no name intro started to play, I was like, yes, all of this money and time spent getting here was worth it because they sounded freaking amazing. Like they sound so huge. I can't believe how well Bono sings even after all of these years and yeah it was, was it an epic epic show you said maybe maybe i need to i might be wrong on my dates whenever they were doing the joshua tree tour cool like yeah it was like an anniversary for that album 20 year anniversary maybe something like that 30 i don't know anymore 
some anniversary basically <laughs> but yeah like uh the fact that uh, a four-piece band can fill out such a huge stage like it didn't like it didn't feel too big for them which is kind of interesting i i think like there's something like production wise where they think of that as well like how how do to make like it not feel the way like there's few small people at, at this huge stage and like this all of this space they kind of use it really well edge had probably like three different pedal boards around the stage he could go to which was kind of fun to follow and yeah easily the most epic show i've seen and i still remember it fondly i might have some clips from the show as well and you could like I'll, I'll insert a clip on the youtube side of things so you can see like how far <laughs> we were from the actual stage but it didn't matter it was still so so much fun and now's your time to ask me questions about it if you want to i didn't know you were a u2 fan is it one of your favorite bands um, i mean i can hear it in the guitar playing that you do especially the atmospheric stuff but it's like i didn't know you were really into them yeah i think like my journey has been like once i started to play more in churches uh the whole worship music scene is like super super heavily influenced by youtube sound wise a lot of delays and ambient stuff and like that things like that uh that kind of introduced me to youtube i mean i knew of their existence i remember the hits from like early 2000s and stuff like that that were playing on tv but yeah that's how i kind of got into youtube i wouldn't say they're like one of my favorite bands but this like especially that album is something that i could listen to on repeat and have fun every single time yeah but yeah who wants to go next that was my favorite show richard i made like a massive list yeah i i made a massive list i just started oh, really? to think um you know what were my favorite gigs that i've been to and i've been to so many that have kind of affected my life and kind of made me change the way i think about stuff so shall i just go through them quickly or should i pick like a couple or how, sh how should we do this as an official co-host of the show you can decide i give you okay all i'm power. just gonna i'm just gonna rattle through it quickly there's like 10 on the little <laughs> list that i wrote so the first one that really changed my life and this one really did change my life that was the it's not the festival but it was at the reading festival in 2000 in well, Reading, which is near London, and that's one of the biggest and best kind of rock and alternative festivals. And I had just done my GCSEs, so I was like 16 or something, 17. So like my first festival, I was really young, and um, I just discovered a band called At The Drive-In, who had just kind of started to become a little bit of a hype machine that summer. And they played the Tiny Tent, the Carling premiere stage at Reading 2000, and I went to see them, and they blew my mind they were so chaotic and energetic and intelligent and it was just a crazy show it just changed my mind completely to what you could do as a live band like Cedric Bixler was not caring about singing in tune you know it was just about the energy and Omar Rodriguez his guitar I think was never in tune and he was also using heavy choruses and stuff like that and they were jumping around on the stage like madmen so it was yeah, that was the craziest thing I think I ever saw. And at the age of 16 or 17, it just changed completely the way I thought about making music and doing live stuff. So that was an amazing show. Probably the best, like, fun gig that I've ever been to was Gaslight Anthem. And that was in Leeds in England in 2010. 
And that was, for me, they're one of my favorite bands ever, I would say. And especially around that kind of time, because they had the 59 sound, which is their best album, possibly my favorite album ever, one of the top three. And they all had also brought out the next album, American Slang, and they played basically a double set. So they did like 25, 26 songs. It was just, it was awesome. It was just feel good from start to finish. It's like, you know, when you said when the intro to When the Streets Have No Name kicks in and you just get goosebumps and stuff. Every song there, I was just loving it. It was, it was perfect. Amazing entertainment, amazing sound, beautifully done. And Brian Fallon, the singer and guitarist, he's such a great writer and a, a funny guy on stage. And his voice is so exceptional. Um, who else can I mention? Larry and his flask. I guess neither of you have ever heard of them. That's a very <laughs> small kind of folk punk band from America. And I've seen them quite a few times now. And they're also one of the best live bands I've ever seen. But I discovered them during this one show in England at the Refectory in Leeds, which is actually where The Who played their Live at Leeds thing. So a very famous venue. And they were supporting a guy called Frank Turner. And my brother-in-law was also on the bill. He was playing bass for the first band, which was a guy called Adam Akaragi. So we showed up for Adam Akaragi, and he's a great singer-songwriter, and that was really good. Went to get a drink in the break, and then came back, and there was this crazy sextet of guys on the stage just going absolutely bonkers. There was the drummer was standing up and jumping around. There was a double bass and the guy was standing on the double bass. There was a banjo and there was hardcore punk mixed with country and folk. And it was just another moment where I was like, what the hell is this? And it was Larry and his flask. And if you've never heard them, please check them out because they're really, really good. And they're so good that I bought a banjo not long afterwards. <laughs> One of my life's <laughs> biggest mistakes and greatest regrets. I've still got it. It's behind me on the wall there, but um, yeah. They were so good, they changed my life in that way. Um, uh, yeah, I got two more, which I'll mention. The Magic Band, also in Leeds in 2011, that was. The Magic Band was the band that backed Captain Beefheart throughout oh. his career. And Captain Beefheart is another one of my favorites. And the Magic Band carried on after Beefheart finished and became a, a painter, an artist instead and the 2011 lineup had john french and rocket morton and that was the drummer and the bass player from trap mask replica and the best period of captain beefheart and seeing that show was that was also kind of like there was this electric energy in the air the whole time and i had to go alone because i couldn't find anyone to go with me to see the magic band because they're just too crazy not even mrs rich would join me for that one or she couldn't for some reason but that just, that blew my mind. And the music is so complex. And I think the audience there, I was definitely the youngest by a long way. And it's guys like literally counting their watches to count the weird time meters and stuff in the songs. And they know every word and every bit of instrumentation, but that was almost like a religious experience in a way. You almost like transcend to another plane. And I also want to mention Airborne in Barcelona in 2019. That was the the second last gig I've been to, that was the end of 2019 at the Razzmatazz, a tiny club in Barcelona. And I've never seen ACDC, but I would love to. And I think the closest you can get to that is Airborne. They just take you in. It's full on rock and roll. It's just pure enjoyment. <laughs> you forget where you are. There was gluten-free beer available in the venue. I had a great time and I can't wait to go to gigs again. <laughs> oh, man. 
I want to check. Well, I know some of the bands you mentioned, but I also want to check some of those now. Like great ads for the band. As well. well done. Well done. Thank you. I recall yeah, so about you. I think uh, my favorite show ever that was at a festival in 2006, I believe. It's called, or it, it used to be called, uh, Hove Festival here in Norway. And that was Mastodon. Um, I remember they were supposed to play pretty early that day. And yeah, they were supposed to play before Slayer. But they were delayed. I think the plane was late to Oslo and then there's at least a couple of hours in a bus from Oslo to it's an island outside of uh, a place called Arndal uh, and they were super late. So I think at the end of the day we uh, we almost gave up like we were sitting and watching a band that was playing forever we didn't like them and there was Always people saying that I think Ma Mastodon is coming right now. And that never happened or it did happen at the end. And they came and I think our expectations were so low because we sort of gave up. And it was <laughs> so funny because they knew, of course, that they were late. So they just came and I think they did their uh, their own sound check. And they were just like waving to everybody and saying, sorry, we're late. And it was so chill, sort of. And then they just blew us away. It was insanely good. And they also got moved from like the biggest stage to the smallest one, which was good because of the sound and the atmosphere. Yeah, it was just insanely good. Uh, so yeah, Mastodon at Hove Festival in 06, I believe. Ooh, yeah, so that's... that would have been amazing because that was yeah. their like best period, in, in my opinion, as well. This should be another segment for a future episode, Vlad. The best bands that you've never seen live but wanted to, oh, because absolutely. for me personally, I... Mastodon is definitely right up on that list of bands I wish I had seen but and... haven't yet. Yeah, I've actually been fortunate to see Mastodon here in my area once. But there were this small club which feels like they always have pretty bad sound there. Like I've seen Mastodon there, I've seen Devin Townsend there. Like it's really difficult to tell what's going on. <laughs> like it's it's just bad audio, and it's weird because it's like one of the famous kind of rock clubs in Finland. But the audio was all always like always bad and. Like Mastodon, the energy on the stage was amazing, but like it was very difficult to tell what's going on. Like you could barely tell what songs whether they were playing. So fortunately, that experience was a little bit like, I don't, yeah, could have been better. Let's put it that way. Can I add another band on my list, which like one of those that completely, completely surprised me? Uh, that was Opeth, Swedish. This prog something band at that time they were still more like known for like they could go from like very jazzy thing into like full blast black metal and seeing them on a huge huge stage again here on a summer festival that was cool because their dynamic range like they the, the music's dynamic range is so incredible from like really soft like jazzy type of thing to 
full blast thing and they're super experienced guys they like they do really really know what they're doing just the sheer dynamics and everything of their show were like something that i still remember even though it was in 2011 i think so like nine years ago i still remember the feeling of like when they went on full blast for the first time and, and me and my friend were like whoa so this is open cool <laughs> jump to random positive thing next because i we want to talk about you yeah. next <laughs> Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, I'll wait for Eric to be back on the camera. Sorry, I'm so leaving the scene. Yeah, the random positive of the week is the fact that Eric is alive. I guess that is not too dramatic, but as you mentioned on your YouTube channel, you got COVID and it hit you pretty bad. I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm not really sure how bad it hit me. It it, it was definitely worse than with my wife. Uh, she got it very mild, luckily. So for me, it was it was worse than that. But still, I would say that I've had like worse <coughs> flu flus before. Oh, okay. Uh, which isn't to say that this wasn't bad. I think it was bad mostly because it it was. Uh, it took so long to get better. Like I had like a pretty high fever for like nine days or something. And that was pretty exhausting. Like sure. at first when I got COVID, I, I was sort of like thinking that, okay, it's good that I just finally caught it because I'm not able to get a vaccine until maybe end of summer. So I thought, yeah, if I get it now, I'm done with it. But after having it for like over a week, I I, I was starting to regret saying that. And I thought, <laughs> I wish I never got this. And still, like, even though I feel a lot better, of course, I'm, I'm done with like the active part of having COVID. I'm still pretty exhausted and everything is moving a bit slower than it usually does. So... I would suggest to everyone that you try to so stay away from getting COVID if you can, which I guess yeah. most people are doing anyways. Yeah, I can imagine like, well, this is something we were talking about. Like, it's also like, uh, it seems to hit different people very differently. Like some go through it without almost any symptoms. We were talking like earlier today, we were chatting about, I was mentioning like this, NBA player and well I follow NBA pretty closely and there's a guy who's like 23 or maybe even younger he's in incredible shape and he got COVID he wasn't like out because of the COVID for that long but he still has like he's three months later he still like has trouble breathing properly so he has to use like an inhaler to be able to, to, be able to play properly like yeah like the kind of effects after you've actually gotten better seems to be like that could be also a thing like even though you might think oh i'm going to get it and then i'm done with it like it might affect you for the next several months apparently as well yeah which apparently isn't very uncommon when it comes to like any virus infection sure. i think it has been talked about a lot with covid that it's not very common 
but apparently it is. So mm -hmm. you just need to sort of like stay calm, don't stress about it, and you need to exercise to get up to the same level as you used to be on. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm trying to do basically, not to be stressed out about it because it's it's definitely weird feeling so low in energy mm. like even though the the illness is gone apparently yeah do you still have to stay isolated from other people like what's like how's it in Norway like do you still need is there still x amount of days before you can go grocery shopping for example or something like that Yeah, I'm, I, I'm out of that. So I, I couldn't have gone to my studio here without being out of isolation because then it's strictly in your house. Yep. But I believe it's like 10 days from you get symptoms and then you need to be symptom-free and fever-free for at least 24 hours. Then they are pretty sure that you are not able to to bring the illness to anyone else okay i see yeah uh, i think i if i if i took a test that would probably be positive still but that can be positive like up until a month after you are like done with the thing because oh. you have like inactive virus in your body still so i think that was a problem actually in the beginning that they wouldn't let people get out of isolation and quarantine because they still had positive tests. Mm. But then it like uh, then they saw that some people took like two months uh, with positive tests uh, still and they felt fine. So that's a thing apparently yep. that they have changed in one, most countries. And now you've had COVID Does that affect you getting the vaccine later on? Will you get a vaccine or will you be pushed back or anything like that? Well, I, I'm not sure if I'm getting pushed back yet. I don't think I will. But I know that most likely I will just get one shot of ah. like whatever uh, vaccine they end up using with me. I, I think it would probably be the Pfizer or the Moderna that I will get and I'm pretty sure that I will just get one shot and I think I th I don't think I will be pushed back the only thing is that you need to be like done with the illness before you get the shot so you can't have a fever mm -hmm. or like very active symptoms when you get the shot so you can basically have it a couple of weeks after you're done with having COVID yeah. basically interesting Yeah, I think we in Finland, like, the plan is to have everyone, like, everyone should have the first shot by the end of June or July, either of those. So it's not too long before I, I hopefully get mine as well. So things are somewhat progressing here in Finland. Maybe that's why they think they could actually have summer festivals <coughs> in, like, August or something. <laughs> Richios. Yeah, I'm not see seeing that happening in Norway. I think yeah. I saw yesterday that like the biggest festival, they're assuming that they are canceling. Ah, I see. Yeah, and that's I believe uh, that's in August. Yeah. In this week, 
next uh, my guitar section we're talking about this kind of though not exactly uh, we're talking about uh, a gibson midtown custom that i had some years ago uh, i'm gonna say the year was maybe 2011 or something like that and yeah i wanted to get my first gibson those were fairly new at the time uh, so midtown custom is basically like a well, I'm going to show it on this guitar, which I ended up building later. Uh, basically like a 335-ish thing. I just see the microphone on the ceiling. Uh, there's a center block going on, so it's not like hollow. And the Gibson version came with Gibson bars, burst buckets and had block inlays and stuff like that. So like somewhere between like the 335 and a Les Paul. And I really, really want to to try one out, got to try one out at a local store and it had some really serious binding issues going on. With that one, like, like the binding was like a half centimeter higher than, than the actual top of that guitar. So I didn't end, end up buying that one. And I think I ordered mine from a store that had like a good return policy, stuff like that. Because of that, and yeah, I really like that guitar. Uh, my whole room smelled like do you know what they're putting into those Gibson cases? Is it like a vanilla scent or something? It's like mixture of like nitro, like they use on the guitars, but also they add some scent. And I think my whole room smelled like vanilla or something like very non-manly. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, Eric, you've had Gibson guitars. Do yours smell like vanilla or something? Yeah, when you said that, I uh, I think I agree uh, that I that's something that I connect with opening up like a Gibson hard case that there's something vanilla like going on there. <laughs> Absolutely. It's part of the experience, I guess. Somebody maybe just went <laughs> way overboard with the amount of scent I had because like all the friends that came <laughs> to visit uh, this was like months after buying that guitar were like whoa it really smells like <laughs> vanilla in here <laughs> 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 although that wasn't the reason why i gave it up like it had very th the gibson version had really really thin neck and just never got used to that and i also didn't like the burst buckets on them i ge just generally don't like the gibson burst bucket microphone pickups they're just not not my thing they kind of feel feels to me like when you swap something else uh, on those guitars. I've done I, I like did the same pickup swap on a Les Paul I had as well, which we'll actually talk about next week, and it just made it sound so much better. So yeah, not a huge fan of burst pockets, and that guitar heavily heavily inspired me building this one. This is basically a Gibson Midtown Custom, except it has dot inlays. And I'm not 100% sure this is like exactly the same size because there's no like official schematics or drawings of this guitar available anywhere uh, online. So I just took like a Gibson 335 and uh, I read an article on maybe guitar.com or musicradar.com or something like that, that the Midtown Custom is like three thirds of the size of the 335 so i just took photoshop scaled down the body size to that and had a friend to print out the schematics or like the drawings and we used that to build this thing and i don't know if this sounds this sounds the same but there's something really cool about like a semi 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 hollow in the sense like the sides are hollow but there's a center block 
It's not a less spoiled world, it's not a 335 item. Fun guitar. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Do you want to know? So is it like yeah. be between a 335 and like a 339 in terms of size then? Yes. Yeah, this is definitely yeah. bigger than a 339. And this is also flat top, by the way, which is, I should mention. 339 is curved top i think is it i'm pretty sure 339 is carved yeah yet. but the the midtown was a flat top was it or was that yes. also carved okay yeah that's that's what made it different i'm not sure if they're selling that anymore they might be i actually want to check that now because this is not the first time i'm mentioning uh this and by the I way this the midtown was ever that successful was it it, uh, it just didn't seem to catch on yeah, seems like they, there's actually not like, yeah, I'm usually getting like Thoman links for this, but like something also in image like the Gibson had both Midtown and then there's the Midtown custom. The Midtown had P90 pickups, I think. And mm -hmm. it, yeah, it seems like it's actually been discontinued and there's just some guitars going on on Reverb, for example. For very high prices, actually. What? Somebody's asking 1,900 euros for it. And that thing was like 1,200 when it came out. What? I guess it's a collectible item now. Too bad I sold it. <laughs> I would have already made like 700 euros, it seems. Oh, wow. By just smelling that vanilla for a few more years. <laughs> Actually, like, uh, I, I one of the first videos I remember seeing from you were you playing, like, Mastodon Riffs on a 335. I think you have, a, like, a, a black 335, right? Yeah. I still have that one. Um, so, yeah, I, th I used that on when w whenever I did something like metal. Uh, I That was the only guitar that I had with humbuckers. So that's probably why. And... I think I've seen like what, around that time I've seen some Norwegian bands and they played like 335s exclusively ex exclusively and playing metal so I was sort of like into doing that because it was sort of like wrong to do but it worked But yeah I still have that guitar it's not great um it looks good uh, I've <laughs> always just struggled a bit with the pickups in that one i have some like custom ones in there now and i th think i like them better um i think it came with 57 classics is that a gibson pickup i, I think so yeah yeah so um, i i like the ones that i have now but i might try some other ones as well it sounds a bit like cardboard for some weird reason that guitar but it looks good mm. <laughs> Richard, i think you have a semi-hollow guitar as well am i right yeah i don't i've i've never owned a gibson guitar but i have an ibanez ah, yeah, as 73 you know what should i get it yeah please do <laughs> it's behind me here and Vlad, you would know this guitar, maybe even this exact guitar, because we both first came across it when we were at uh, Hughes it, and Kettner for the 
for the SpiritCon week. I don't know if this is the exact instrument that we had there, but yeah, this is maybe 2016, 2017, and Ibanez kind of semi-affordable. Very beautiful. Yeah. Their take on a, a 335, I guess. It's a pretty chunky body. I think it's completely hollow. No, there's a block in the middle. It's semi-hollow. Two Ibanez humbuckers, Ibanez fittings, Ibanez hardware. It's a very nice guitar. I've done a video on it, but it kind of feels like there's just something missing with it for me. Like, I really like it, but it doesn't inspire me to do any one single thing amazingly well. So I feel like I could maybe change the pickups out or maybe just swap it for like a 339 or a 335 and just try it out. Mm. I'm really not sure. I don't have much experience with semi-hollows or hollow bodies, but yeah, it looks nice, doesn't it? I love that. Azure Blue Gradation is the name of the finish, and it's just really, really... <laughs> really beautiful it's nice uh cool yeah. I, do you have a pickup company recommendation for both of you guys if you want to try them out but i don't want to s well i guess I, I can also mention like uh i've been putting sheptone pickups on all of my like more vintage sounding guitars because i feel those have been like when when i think about like a les paul sound or like a three three fine sound or a tele sound i have like tele my tele also has those pickups on them feel their pickups kind of do it for me like they give that sound so maybe that's something you might want to try out uh Sheptown is in no way sponsoring this episode or anything like that but i've been really happy with their pickups they're fairly affordable as well like for custom wound like hand wound pickups they're fairly affordable and they do for example killer black friday uh, deals and stuff like that so keep an eye on those if you're interested i've heard that um changing the pickups in a semi-hollow guitar like this is very very tricky is that true seeing as you've done it yes because you've got to go in through the f-holes right yeah okay yeah yeah and you need to like attach strings to stuff like through the f-holes it's it's a pain so i will never do it again myself i will definitely let someone else do it for me yeah Mine yeah. actually has a backplate and like a kind of Les Paul style control cavity, but it's still very difficult because, yeah, just annoying overall. And But yeah, I think next time we'll probably need to rebrand this section as well and like share our least favorite or most favorite guitars and stuff like that. So we're not always talking about me. I'm starting to feel a bit egoistic, even though I have two other people on the show as well. <laughs> Again, a note for myself, <laughs> do something with the intro for the next time. And next, let's dive into a couple of your questions and comments. Questions and comments. RJ's Cave says, uh, on the previous Cat Pick Fridays episode, where we discussed the Rick Beato signature Gibson guitar, the Rick Beato signature guitar looks great. I do say this after buying a DC Junior type from Harley Benton in Pelham Blue. The same week he announced it. You're right about the guitar being a great middle ground for most guitarists. Not too far outside the comfort zone to be unappealing for Fender or Gibson fanboys. So yes, I chose the comment that really agrees with us. Well done me. <laughs> Uh, but Rich, I think you have something in the ballpark of that. Do you have that DC, whatever it was from Harley Benton? You have that one, right? I have the 
DC Junior fact. Yeah. This one. The one in the Ferris blue, right? No, this is the Benton blue one. <laughs> Benton. Ooh. They sent me this as well. Oh, uh, true. Yeah. That looks fun. So this is, yeah, this is a DC. It's exactly the same as the Ferris blue one, but it has white hardware uh, on it. And the, yeah, the color is slightly different. I'm sending this back soon. I don't get to keep it. But yeah, anyway, so it's a, it's a effectively a Les Paul Junior DC and this one has one stacked P90 pickup in it. And the Beato one, I guess, is similar, but you've got two P90s and four controls along with a, a three-way switch, right? Yeah. So that should be an extremely versatile guitar. Yeah. Uh, I did try to ask actually, like, well, Eric, let's start with you. What do you think about Rick Beato getting a signature guitar? Because I got mixed responses from people, both on YouTube and on Instagram. Well, um, I think he deserves it. Uh, it, I definitely think it's a weird thing how things have changed, <laughs> like <laughs> internet people getting signature guitars but i mean he's reaching a lot of people he's also doing it for charity so and it's i i like the guitar i think it looks cool so i can't really say that i have anything against it mm. is it weird yes um i think it's of course cooler when a like rock god <laughs> is getting a signature guitar sure. Not that I have anything against Rick Beato at all, but yeah, it's different times. That's like, I don't know. I think this is maybe a thing that you guys discussed last week as well. Mm. Yep. And actually, like, this is something Rich and I touched on as well was like uh, one of, well, somebody commented on my Instagram post saying exactly that, like, uh, Rick Biara is a good player and everything, but like as we discussed with Bridge, like he doesn't really have like a sound or anything like that. Like he's not f known for like a specific sound or specific style of music even. And uh, this person thought like like maybe like yeah because he associates uh, like let's say SGs with Black Sabbath or Steve Y with Ibanez and stuff like that. But like Rick Biara isn't like associated with any of those things i guess i mean he's a good youtuber but yeah i can see like that point as well i think yeah may maybe i would think different of it if i didn't do youtube myself and i'm not saying this because i think me or any of my colleagues are deserves a signature guitar but He's reaching a lot of people, yeah. and I'm guessing that's what Gibson are interested in these days. Yeah. yeah. What What would you guys do if um, you were approached by one of the companies that you worked with, and they said, "Hey, we'd like to do a, a Vlad or an Iric signature model." Would you Would you say yes? Would you be honored, or would you turn it down? Uh, I have had like stuff like that, uh, similar st stuff like that happen to me with pedals. Uh, 
and then I have declined because it wasn't right for me. Uh, I'm not sure with a guitar. That would definitely be cool. I'm, I'm not really sure if I was able to carry that. Like, I now have a signature guitar. Like, Rick Beato is a lot bigger than me, so he can do that. But I would kind of feel a bit embarrassed if I <laughs> got a signature guitar. Like, trying to push that on people. Like, uh, but I would be honored, of course. I don't know. What do you think, Vlad? That's a good question because um, I guess... To me, it would come down to a what would be the price of the guitar, like what what we're aiming for in that sense, and also like whether I could uh, bring something into the market that isn't already there. I guess like if we, I could come up with a, an interesting signature guitar that would be different, like it wouldn't be like a Tele or a Strat or Les Paul with just my name slapped on it, but if it could be something else, like, yeah, I would think a lot about it before saying no, yes or no to that. I'd be honored, obviously, but yeah, not sure to be, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> it's something I like. I haven't thought about it too much, so that that's why you get a very vague answer from me. <laughs> Oh, you think about it oh. every day. Oh, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm just <laughs> trying to play the humble game. Yeah. What it, What about you, Rich? If someone came to me with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would also be honored, of course. I would say you're crazy for even thinking of me for something like that. But actually, if I were to have a signature guitar, it would probably just be a Telecaster. And then it's like, what's, what's the point, yep. you know? Yeah. And I, I, I could try and say okay let's do something different but then it would not be representing me you know that if i decided to do something new as my signature model that would not be what the company came to me for i think if you see what i mean yeah i don't know it is it's a hard question it's um it's definitely not something which is relevant for me right now mm. and i have genuinely never thought about it in the two hours before we started recording this show and um yeah good question maybe in five or ten years when we all have a signature model we'll uh <laughs> we'll come back and discuss this episode again yeah I, for sure yeah I, I have to admit to me it also like comes down to like immediately even with, if we talk about stuff like that and there's stuff still happening in the scenes in my case where a company is uh, basically putting me on the roster as an artist let's put it that way it it will be out pretty soon i think and uh, i feel super weird about it i like all of my insecurities as music musician kick in right away because like i'm a small channel who does like stuff on youtube i can play my basic country courts just fine but that's that's where i feel it ends <laughs> and yeah i don't know i i would there, there would be so much to think of if somebody would actually offer me a signature guitar yeah. feel, feels really really weird 
8233 Irie comments on a new X uh, horseman review video. You talk far, far too much. This is a really terrible review. Thanks. That's mean. <laughs> Why are you so mean? Did you reply? Uh, I think I just replied with ha 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 because I actually <laughs> laughed. That was. It made me like. I should have thanked the, the person because it made me happy. It was such a fun comment. Yeah. Rich, well, as a new YouTuber, have you started getting those comments? No, uh, there's not enough people watching my videos for me to get any hate comments yet. I'll consider myself worthy of a signature instrument by the time I get to a level where people start <laughs> trolling me on my own videos. It's going to take a while before that happens, I guess. I must we be, can help like, you with that. <laughs> yeah, if you want, go for it. More comments is, is always good for the algorithm. Eirik, your That's channel true. is like the largest of the three here. Do, is that something you get more? And do you notice that like, you know, the more people you get, the more trolls you get? Yeah, so like the biggest change there was um, like before when I did pedal demos, I basically just filmed my guitar and the pedal. You couldn't even see me when I started to include <laughs> like my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I got started to get hate comments, and then I started to like gradually talk more, and of course, then you're like asking for it. Uh, so, but it goes yeah. in—I would say that it goes in waves. It's been fairly okay for a while now, but all of a sudden, it's just mayhem again. <laughs> and it's—I'm. It's, yeah, go ahead. it's also very like up and down how I handle it. Um, most of the time I'm fine, like I don't care. But I guess sometimes, especially if I've been working for like a week or two weeks on a video and you really feel that you're not offending anyone, like everything is just feel good. And then you get hate that really pisses me off. And yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel that like uh, this might be a topic for a different time, but I feel like something positive happened. Like like when I, I had my channel for a bit over a year before I became a dad. And that kind of changed things a little bit for me because there was like more important things in life and it made handling those comments easier more of the time. But what also happened was like when you're a dad or when you have kids, uh, you're probably a bit more tired. So also like those downs when I would like when I would get those comments became worse for me as well. Sometimes like I would be super tired from the day, like maybe I had a, like a crappy work day and then there's a lot of, like, my wife needs a lot of help around the house and stuff like that. And then you get a bunch of those comments for the video you worked yeah. on for a week. Yeah, I feel th those downs also got a little bit worse after that. Though an average comment like this, I feel, are not yeah. as bad. For me I anyway. feel like the best way to reply to those comments is when I have the energy to do that. It's just to say, sort of like say, well, sorry, this video... Um, didn't work out for you. Hope you enjoy my next one. And we are when you are being yeah. polite back, 
they often feel bad for saying bad stuff to you. And then they come back <laughs> and they apologize and stuff. So that's, I found that to, to be the best tip. way to to reply. But I don't always have the energy to do that. Sometimes I get sure. really pissed off and then I, <laughs> I'm not being polite back. I have... I have been like censored by <laughs> YouTube a couple of times when I have been writing um, <laughs> back to those comments. So yeah, it's not always nice. Yeah, I can imagine. Again, more episode ideas, the most awful comments we've gotten or something like that. I don't know. That could get yeah. dark really <laughs> fast. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. All right, I think we talked about commenting enough for this episode we'll probably do more in the future let's jump to the weekend watch next and wrap up the show after that watch it watch it watch it watch it watch it video it's not like we have anything else to do this week's weekend watch recommendation comes from a very good friend of all of our channels Poon Ninja and it's called Heavy Metal Hitchhiker uh, Banger TV, I think they're very kind of metal-focused YouTube channel. Uh, they have this series about a guy whose dad, I guess, was like a famous roadie. I'm not spoiling too much because I think I've watched the first three episodes and actually quite enjoyed them. Uh, yeah, his dad was a famous roadie and this guy is now working on a gas station somewhere and somebody comes to... His gas station forgets a guitar there and then he has to take the guitar back to that guy and he doesn't have a car so he starts to hitchhike. You can see where the name comes from. <laughs> this, was, this was like based on the few first episodes, uh, pretty well produced show. It's kind of cool to see stuff like this happen on YouTube nowadays. Yeah, I've only seen like the first episode and that was fun. Do you know how many episodes it will be like at the end uh i'm seeing four right now but i think now five uh i'm not sure if the whole series is out just yet there's a f let me check the full playlist there's five episodes out right now so i don't know how many episodes this is going to be yeah it kind of reminded yet. me of um, one of my favorite movies, uh, Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny, which is a... <laughs> yes. It is one of the best movies ever, and I stand by that. Uh, Have you guys seen that good. one? It's good. Yeah. yeah. No, I I haven't. I'm sorry. You have some yeah. work to do. <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. clearly. Yeah. Tenacious D are amazing. They're just, uh, the whole, I don't know, Jack Black keeps surprising me because I think I just, I knew him from like all those rom-coms he was doing at the time, like back in the days. And then suddenly, like, oh, he has this amazing voice and they do this comedy duo thing and all the heavy metal cliches and stuff like that. There's actually a, something that I probably need to throw into next week's week and watch. There's an interview uh, of him with Dave Grohl and they talk about all the singing stuff and like how he found his like how Jack Black found his voice and mm, stuff like that cool. so yeah I, I need to throw that into next week's uh, week and watch because that thing is amazing and yeah 
Rich, I'm guessing you weren't like the biggest fan of the show. I don't know. Maybe you were. I'm going to give it more of a try, seeing as you guys both like it. We all have a similar sort of sense of humor. And if Poo Ninja recommends it, it must be good. There must be something to it. So <laughs> I'm going to try and watch it this weekend. Yeah, sounds good. All right. I think it's time to wrap up this week's Cat Pick Fridays. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. And as I mentioned earlier, if you enjoy the show, please consider liking it, hitting the subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you're on podcast platforms, please consider giving us a review as well. That will bump us in the algorithms and stuff like that so more people will be able to find us and growing this whole thing will help us to well basically keep it rolling thank you Eric. thank you rich for joining me this was fun i think <laughs> they're both nodding which <laughs> is really helpful on a podcast <laughs> oh thank you guys <laughs> i forgot the podcast thing i was relying on yes, yes. this on was fun Yes. Visuals. Well, we did unfortunately rely on visuals a little bit. So <laughs> sorry for that for those who are listening. But there's photos and clips in the show notes on podcast platforms as well. So if you want to check out some of the things we're mentioning here, they're there. Okay. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great weekend. See you next week with another Cat Pick Fridays episode. And that's about it. I shall see you next time. Goodbye. I said goodbye.